and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 326 and my conversation with percussionist, mathematician, and educator, Andre Wesley. We'll get to him shortly. Happy New Year, everyone. We have made it to 2023. Somehow. I don't know how, but it's happened. I hope that you're all off to a good start so far, and let's continue to make that happen. Not much to report over here at Mizzou. We're on break, getting back into the swing of class prep for next semester, and much more to report again, hopefully soon. I mean, I could report the Jets are out of the NFL playoffs for the 12th straight year. That is definitely not news. All right. Anyway, let's make our way to our conversation with Andre Wesley. I was happy to have Andre on the show, as I knew that he was preparing for a presentation at PASIC as part of the research sessions that are a regular part of the conference. His career has followed a fairly unusual path to this point, as he's been involved in a number of fields outside of music, while also having a degree in linguistics, and he performs and teaches part-time. You'll get to hear a lot about his history upcoming. I enjoyed his presentation at PASIC on motion capture in performing on snare drum. He decided to make a change before presenting, focusing less on specific data and looking at the overall picture and taking a lot of questions from the audience. He also performed some as part of his overall product. The work he's done so far is a great building block towards applying his music background with his math background and creating a new avenue combining the two. More than anything else in this conversation, we hit a very wide range of topics, wider than usual. Aside from his presentation, we get into the fields of music, linguistics, language, mathematics, oral skills, tennis, post-Katrina New Orleans, and Thelonious Monk, to name a few. So stay tuned and enjoy. One last note before we get to the interview. I realized almost halfway through that I had forgotten to press record on the Zoom function. So the audio will start to sound better after that point. For the first part of this interview, we're on my backup, which actually came out pretty well, all things considered, but it's imbalanced towards my own microphone. Just be aware of that as you listen. Okay, here we go. We recorded this interview over Zoom on October 18th, 2022, and it begins right now. So, Andre, tell me what you are presenting at PASIC. And my research is over motion capture studies of snare drumming. What I basically did was a uh, 3D transcription of about four drummers' movement based on uh, certain anatomical markers in the arm. Uh, I'm only presenting the right arm at PASIC for the four drummers which is still a substantial amount of information. They just did uh, basic strokes and like a few select rudiments at like 90 beats per minute. What draws you to this particular item of research? I've always had the idea, even as like a little kid. I, I ran into the opportunity at the University of Texas as an undergrad to do it, and I took the opportunity. And I just like math, personally. <laughs> So. Well, and that's your job too, right? Your main yes, job. Yes, I'm, I'm a math teacher and an ESL teacher currently. 
So what's involved in the just the motion capture part, not even the, the research part, but just to try to gather data? What do, what do you need to do? We had about five cameras set up mm-hmm. at different angles. Like basically, if we think about a clock, uh, it would be nine, between 10 and 11, 12, between one and two, and then three. Okay. Uh, five cameras like that. Um, all really bright lights, like a recording studio, almost. Okay. Like really bright lights. And some these there's our markers on there. But we, we put them on the ulna. There we go. Radius. Okay, yeah. Uh, elbow at the joint and the shoulder at the at the joint. And we did both sides. The machine is pretty loud, so a, a lot of I can't really capture any sound stuff, which is supposed to be the other part of the research, but I can't I can't do that then. It's not at the level where I could really analyze the sound. A lot of go stop, go, stop, <laughs> go, stop. Yeah. So is it the, the kind of stuff that they when they do um was it like the CGI and they have the person in the in the suit and they've got like the little balls on them or whatever so that basically kind of yes i mean the first couple of uh experiments i did with the professor uh, dr shapiro okay. she i use i use her lab um she does primate locomotion for lemurs okay so i was the first person to do the actual study and we just i mean it looked like a garage we just hung up black tarp in the back mm-hmm. and you know we're trying to make everything as dark as possible just to get like the best reading on the on the data because you have to go in there's some programs that do it automatically like but you got to do every frame for every joint um and it took a very long time <laughs> what, what what what's defined a very long time oh man just to mark the data on the computer i took maybe about a year, and it was, of course, it wasn't every day, but it was more like 15 hours a week of just me at the computer watching, you know, watching the same videos four times at least. Yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of, it was actually kind of weird, you know, to watch myself that much. You know? Right, yeah. Oh my gosh, suck, bro. Look at that pinky. What is the pinky doing over there, bro? did all this you went to this video just to get the pinky showing bro Come on. <laughs> as you're kind of capturing this data what what are you trying to demonstrate i guess or what's what's the what what is the data to, to what's the kind of what's the the output of the data that you're trying to get at uh one of the things i wanted to do was just transcribe like military drumming as it is currently because um, I know what Sanford Moeller did, he transcribed Civil War drummers, basically, or mm-hmm. he learned from Civil War drummers. Um, and I'm trying to make the argument that it's the same technique, but it's grown maybe, I don't know, 150 years. You know, it, it morphed, you know. Right. But I think it's the same general technique because it comes from the same place. I mean, I'm not the best guy in the military, but, you know, hmm. I was in the Marine Corps, man. So it kind of helps. So you you said at the beginning that like this is just right hand data right yes. now. So does that mean that your your the next step would be to film traditional left 
and and kind of to to show that version, or you were actually were were looking at kind of two match grips and just comparing. I do have some data on the left hand. It's just at the orientation of the camera. Uh-huh. It's very hard to get the underside. Okay. Um, and everybody else, I transcribed it match. So I do have left hand data on a lot of, on some of the trials. It's too inconsistent. And then I had to do a lot of guesswork on the computer. But that makes any sense. Like I can't see the marker. Oh, okay. I'm like, I'm like literally clicking where the marker is like marking it, you know? So I can I can really see the marker on the left hand side. So that's one of the main reasons why it's only right hand data, and it sort of removes that difference between not entirely, but it sort of removes that difference between master and traditional grip. If we're just focusing on the right hand, right hand and rudiments and basic strokes, so no like pieces or anything. What's the kind of the mode of this presentation? Uh, the mode of the presentation is going to be sort of mixed media. Okay. Um, I do plan on bringing a snare drum just to be like, okay, I know we're all drummers, but this is what I mean by basic stroke, you know, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and demonstrating some more stuff. Um, but mostly it's going to be looking at uh, PDFs of data, analyzing, analyzing movement based on the data. And why that's important, I did this, I did, I did a pre-presentation at uh, the University of Texas at the percussion studio with uh, Dr. Bird. And he made a comment. He said, he said, um, I know we can all see what's going on with people, you know, you know, when it comes to drumming things, but maybe it will encourage some students to, to, once they see it, to be more proactive in changing their technique. Because it, it does, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it takes some convincing for someone to change their technique after doing it for so long, especially by seeing that data. You know, you can see, uh, inc- not inconsistency, you can see movements that aren't beneficial for smooth transitions or smooth playing. But, you know, you, as a teacher, you can see that already. The data just helps. And that's why I wanted to talk about it, not purely through the data, but mostly through the data. Are you trying to get to a baseline numbers? I'm thinking about this in terms of like, a technical point where you say okay. upper level that's that's like we don't you don't want to be th- this high or, or this low there's kind of this range where everything works the best uh, I'm, I'm i may not be giving you the right kind of i questions. understand which is i understand what you're saying uh, it's more of a yes and no okay but it's it's like if i take reason why we did basic strokes it, it allows me to to like take out one instance of them playing that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And usually in that one instance, you can see that one instance through the rest of their playing, right? Which as a teacher, I already know that. What, what, what would be beneficial? So what I did for myself, it wasn't necessarily getting to a number. It's just repeating the same motion as closely as possible. So not necessarily trying to hit a number or trying to hit some sort of sequence. I'm just trying to hit, do the same thing all the time regardless of how fast or how slow. So basically just practice, but with numbers. If you're doing it all at the same time and you can, you have the visual data to see that you're doing this all at the same time, you can get a, your kind of your, I guess your mean range or something like that. Yes. For one drummer, for that sure. one drummer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For that one drummer. Yes. 
I, I do have a, a spreadsheet of my averages. Yes. In thinking about what would the kind of the some of the application of this would would the is your idea that someone would be able to take a, a student, maybe a new student, and say, "We're gonna we're gonna film you so that you can see where the exact points are." You come back next week and we we refilm you and make, or something like that where they where like it gets really really exact about those kinds of things. Yeah, some, something like that that could be helpful. Uh, one of my goals is to get I don't know is to get a lot more people to do it because like the data is the data is freely available. So is the ex, how to do the experiment. Um, I one of the, one of the other reasons why I did it is because it sort of connects that that love of math and music for me. And so I'm like really able to, like I'm able to teach mathematics to a certain level, you know, um, and really it helps me engage with students too, especially when I was teaching uh, like pre-cal in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, you know, this is what like a sine function could look like, you know, playing drums, you know, look at that. Those are the two main ones. It's one of the, the cool things about, about what you're doing is that you're, I think if you take a subject that, People are less willing to kind of be super pumped about like the music part. I think we, we is, it seems to be pretty easy, but you're like, yes. now you're taking the math thing and you're saying, actually, we, like, this is kind of cool too, right? Yeah. I'm like, do your homework, you know? Do oh, you sure. <laughs> do your homework. Yeah. 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 That's, it's, yeah. That's a goal, but that's a, that's a lofty goal. I can't really, I can't really bank on that. Sure. Like people are now interested in mathematics, you know, that'd be great. <laughs> right. That'd be great. Yeah. I know you've seen it. A lot of people clam up whenever numbers start coming out, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes, yes, yes, yes. sometimes me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, my bad. No, 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 no. Okay. No, I enjoy it. I just, uh, but I could, there are times when it, when it's, if it's a lot of numbers, it depends how many numbers basically. You're just like, all right, I'm now I'm just I'm just reading a lot of numbers and Yeah, what is this? This is just numbers. Yeah, just numbers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when you've presented it, have you what what kinds of things have you kind of I know you talked about what Dr. Burrett had said about clear it up or make it more interactive. What kinds of things as you've been kind of getting ready for this or other types of presentations have you realized you kind of that has helped you get get it better or to more something you're more confident in? Yeah, I got to shout out Dr. Bird like yeah. like twice mm-hmm. because uh, he gave me some more advice on framing. Um, while I don't, I don't have enough data to make any substantial claims, like only for the other drummers, only have maybe ten trials for each, mm-hmm. and that's a less than a minute of film. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of numbers because I think if they're filmed at 150 frames per second. <laughs> Um, same thing with what was was excuse me, which was with me. Uh, even still, it's very. That's not a lot of information, you know. That's a lot of data points, but it's not a lot of information. Two drummers had an in- injury, and reason I knew this at, during the time of the filming. Reason I knew this because I was always in the percussion studio, mm-hmm. and so you can see some type of irregular movement in some places, and like you know, one person had a wrist injury. And so in the wrist, you can see some sort of like, I would say you can see marked movement. There we go. 
in every single trial, in every single vector, X, Y, Z, for his wrist. Um, and the other the other experiments, he had a back injury. And you can see sort of everybody's shoulders, like, very chaotic with the data. You know, they're, like, moving. But since he had a back injury, his, his shoulder data was very, like, repeat, re- re- repetitive. There we go. Mm-hmm. Like, it had, it was on, it was oscillating, which the shoulder... And drumming doesn't really do that only for certain things, like a roll or, yeah, something like that, or singles or something like that. It could help prevent injury, I think, but you would need a lot more data points. And that was one of the things Dr. Burge said. And trying to see a way of how to talk about the mathematics without losing any of the quality of the mathematics. Because it is basically calculus, but I think... But I think uh, since it's based around, like, really basic snare drumming things, like, you know, tap, upstroke, you know, like, I think, I think drummers can, 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 can use that drumming, their drumming pedagogy as a scaffolding in order to get into the mathematics. And, that's, and, and those two things that Dr. Bird really uh, talked to me about. I, you can include your your main job here too. That that would be great. But give me a summation of your percussion activities and work activities as they are at this point. I have two things that that I do right now as a percussionist. I play I play uh, congas in an Afrobeat band in Austin. It's at Sahara Lounge. I do that every Saturday at like seven thirty p.m. Or I try to do it every Saturday. The other thing I do is I, I just give lessons to some of the kids at the school I work at. Just, you know, if I, if I have a free time and the band's practicing, I'd be like, okay. I taught a, I taught a student how to play the bass drum proper, properly, you know, because he was bored and it was marching band music. Yeah. And I got to admit, I got a little offended. You know, I was just like, man, this is the most important part of the band, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing, man? You saying my job's not important? I, I say all that. I was just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I heard the I heard the rehearsal the next week. Now oh, he sounded excellent. You know, so you know, just try to do stuff like that. But that's that's it as a percussionist. Well, and uh, and so what is um, your your main work at this point? Currently, I do ESL. I do do mathematics as well, but ESL or English is a second language is my main focus at the current school I'm working at now. Do you have an ed background? Uh, like, did I go to college for education? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, I went oh. to college for uh, linguistics. Uh, I was a music teacher for a bit, like, mm-hmm. you know, grade school music teacher. Mm-hmm. Then I stopped to do this research, and then I moved to New Orleans. After a couple of failed jobs, I got hired as a, a what's called a math interventionist. So I just would go to a school and try to raise their test scores. Became a math teacher for some time in New Orleans for about a year. Then I moved here to Austin again and was a was a math teacher last year at the school and now I'm doing ESL. But I have a degree in linguistics. Oh, all right. That's that's my main degree. Or my undergrad. That degree both typical of what's required for it and what's what's typically a kind of a, a the next job out, you know, kinda of out, out of the gate once you get that degree. Yeah, linguistics is, is a very pretty wide ranging of what you can do. A lot of people go to the military, but uh, I decided not to after going to college. Yeah, 
Um, there's also a lot of programming that you can do. And, and there's a lot of field work that you can do or, you know, pursue, pursue the advanced degrees. Um, and what's what a linguistics degree entails is basically a study of language. We do some, we do some, a lot of logic, a lot of semantics, a lot of syntax, like, uh, or at least at UT, they, they really, they really liked, uh, syntax trees in our introductory class. I remember that a lot. Uh, modeling or diagramming sentences, phonology, speech sounds, phonetics, like analyzing the sound of, of the voice, human anatomy as far as like the respiratory system or the uh, the vocal tract. Not really learning other languages, but I included that in my degree. I took a, I took a few other languages like German, French, Spanish, Portuguese. Uh, Japanese and a, a language called Nahuatl, which is a Aztec. So you're fluent in all of them? No. No, <laughs> no, I, just no I just took the classes. I have various, various ranges of fluency. Mm-hmm. This is re- it's really interesting because when you're doing, when you're studying or, or getting into those languages from a linguistic standpoint, does this mean that you're it focuses more on what the body does to create. Okay. Necessarily. At least for me uh-huh. uh, or how I approach it. Cause I don't really think of it from like a evolutionary sure. or like a psych- psychological standpoint. You know, to me it's like, you know, how does a tongue attack the teeth different in Portuguese for D then, you know, in Spanish for D, and how many variations of those Ds are there? And I get my emotional, con- most of my emotional content in another language from songs, you know, mm. or talking to that person and saying the wrong thing and be like, oh, my bad. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to forget that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. It's like, do it's a, is it enough to kind of be to be like slightly dangerous in those languages, or or just like? <laughs> I, I met I met someone recently uh, on a gig. I'm actually a guitar player. Okay, uh, so I play guitar. Yeah, but I met someone at a gig that I do recent uh, that I do, and uh, it was a, a it was a man from Brazil and a man from Japan, and I was singing bossa novas. And they were asking me if I spoke Portuguese. I was like, I barely speak, you know, but I was trying to speak to them in Portuguese. And I slipped into Spanish. I was like, bro, you speak in Spanish right now. I like, I I'm trying. I'm trying, you know. And so it's stuff like that, you know. Like they, they sometimes they, they get jumbled. And that's like the worst feeling ever, you know. So someone that I talked to who I think was more fluent in Spanish, I think they tried to pick, start, tried to start speaking Portuguese. And I... And I, from from an outsider perspective, I, I took a lot of Spanish in high school and, and some in college. Okay. So I was like relatively. I have some relative frequency, I will say, or fluency, excuse me. But then, okay. but then they said, uh, I was like, oh, I've been told that Portuguese is like just a little bit different. And they're like, no, nah, <laughs> no, it's, it's totally not. I wish it was. Man. <laughs> yeah. So I wish it was. It- it's totally different. Even even like going to Brazil, mm-hmm. I went to Brazil recent, uh, in 2017. Yeah, and that was that was an experience because you know of course you're immersed at that point. 
And so, like, and it was the worst thing that happened to me. <laughs> It's because I started speaking French to him. I was just like, man, come on. Can you not? Can you just like, can you just focus? Like, but I don't know. Some about some about that time, it wouldn't allow me to focus on that one language, even though I was there. <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes, though, you know? Yeah. No, but the, the good thing is that at least it's it's clear that you're showing effort. I hope, yes. I hope they're at least like giving you some grace, like. I know you're oh, trying. Cool. <laughs> when, I, when I go, when I, when I go to that, uh, there was a food truck that served uh, hamburgers with mac sauce, like McDonald's sauce. Oh yeah, yeah. But it was just a food truck. Yeah, so, like just random food truck. I was like, you got mac sauce? Okay, yeah, give me the one with the mac sauce. You know? Chitu, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were pretty, pretty accommodating. Yeah. <laughs> I I didn't know I didn't know if they would have. Uh... Have they been talking to you in when when you were starting to speak Spanish, in when you're trying to speak Portuguese, that they would just answer you in Spanish, and then maybe they would just like kind of throw in like a little subtle insult just to be like just to see if you caught it or something like that or. Uh, no, I do was sure that hey, it was like, bro, you speak Spanish. <laughs> 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 All right, it was just straight up, just like to the point. I was like, my bad. I'm I'm still trying to learn, you know. Sure. But he, you know, he was nice. He was very nice. Yeah. I have no, I have no concept of what um, the Aztec language you you had mentioned. Well, I, is that is that like a just a completely different set of everything? To yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That used to be my best second language because I learned at UT. Um, I'm part Aztec. Okay. Um, and the teacher who taught me Aztec or Nahuatl mm. or Nahuatl. She was from Veracruz. She was an indigenous person. It was funny. She was saying in class, she said, she would say, when I speak Spanish, you don't understand. And she only spoke Spanish in Nahuatl. So she was saying, you know, when I speak Spanish, you don't understand me. But when I speak Nahuatl, you understand everything. I was just like, I don't know what it is. That's your fault, you know? <laughs> that's you. Yeah, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, man. I had a, yeah, I had a great time at UT. So that language is is close to Spanish or not, or it's a, it's a dialect of it, or it's not. It's not even that. It's a totally indigenous language. Okay, that had a resurgence. I forget exactly when. And I want to say the wrong date, but it was a recent resurgence of the language because the language kind of died out mm. mostly because uh, of Spanish. But there's a lot of Spanish words in there, and a lot of Mexican words that are Spanish now came from Nahuatl, mm. um, like tequila, tequet, stuff like that. Did you ever see the movie, the movie from a few years back, Roma? No, I haven't. Well, what is that one about? It's about the, it's kind of set around 1970, <laughs> 71 or something like that. And it's like this time oh. period in Mexico that had like, it was very, revo- there was a lot of like revolutions and uprisings. And it's about this okay. family that's pretty well off that kind of, I believe dissipates or whatever, but they have a, the main character or one of the main characters is, um, is from one of the dialect regions specific to Mexico. And I can't remember, it wasn't the language you were mentioning, but it was a different one, but it was kind of, what's that? Kichi? Maybe. I, I, I can't, I can't remember, but there was a, I remember when they would do the subtitles, 
the subtitles in Spanish, they just kind of made in like normal, like regular thing. And then when it was the subtitles out of the, um, the more specific indigenous language, it was italicized to kind of be like, like, (laughs) this is not the same. We're not just giving you this directly. Like this is actually different than the other. It's kind of like showing the different languages that were going on at the same household. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I, I would I highly recommend it. I do love hearing about the 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 ways that we have to the ways well, it's very interesting because I'm sure you've realized that you're one of the few people in the United States who actually knows like more than one language or <laughs> it can interact in in multiple languages is so normal for someone who's in Europe, for example. Yeah, necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 different. Um, I mean, I grew up. I grew, grew up. Uh, with, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, cochlear implants. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I was born with like fluid in my ear. So like sign language is my first language. Oh. So okay. I, I was doing sign language for many years as a, like you know, ever since I could pick, you know, do hand signs. You know, I never really understood people's hesitation, in in like you know, learning languages and all that stuff. I just don't, because I just come from a very particular language learning environment. I had speeches, I had speech all through school and had serious lists for a while. So. I gotcha. I hear you, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, you explaining that, though, it, it I, I'm going, I could guess, I guess, that that's part of your, that's part of your motivation for, what you do, I would. It seems like necessarily, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's very. Cool. I can't shut up anymore. Nice. Let's get. Let's kind of go back then, sex. So where where did you grow up, Andre? I, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, I was born in, in a place called Humble. Spent the, like right outside of Houston. Uh, spent most of my, you know, adolescence in a smaller part of Houston called Greens Point. Went to high school, like a regular high school in Houston. Did the band, you know, mm-hmm. like really general. Played tennis a lot. I was on the tennis team, mm. and just did that um, for a while. Gotcha. I, I was in like a percussion ensemble group. We play on the Rockets drum line. Oh yeah, it's called uh, it's called Percussion One with uh, Lamar Bird Culture. I'm not sure if you know. I know the name. Uh, Lamar Bird, yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, one of my mentors. Uh, one of the first people that I that I, that I took lessons from and you know interacted with on any in any type of business sense. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So. Um, did you have any family members who were in the arts at all? My older sister was a clarinet player and a dancer. Uh, my little brother taught me guitar when we were growing up. And I had three little sisters who were all dancers. And so, yes. One, and the, oldest one, <laughs> and the, oldest, <laughs> the oldest one is going to, I forget the school in California for acting, though. She's you know, like can act, sing, and do all this stuff. 
Well, that that's super cool with all those those different influences. Um, when was your when did you first gravitate to percussion? I was about eleven, like you know, because you were in band already at like ten, you know, eleven. Um, but I remember one of the middle school directors came and he showed me like the major scale sequence, mm-hmm. whole whole half, whole 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 half. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he showed me the paradiddle, and ever since then, like I would just. This was back in 2000. So this is right when YouTube was like, no, not YouTube. Right when like uh, like the internet posts about snare drum and stuff was getting hot. Yeah. So I was getting I was getting all the all the uh, grids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the you know, you know snare sprees written out. I was just you know I was just chopping out, chopping out, chopping out, chopping out. And I used to practice on this wood table at home with the like you know these. Ralph Hardiman's mm-hmm. really loud with uh, five other brothers and sisters. <laughs> Is it the the white ones with the uh, the brown the yeah. light brown tips that are like uh-huh. they're actually like really light, but they feel really good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just wailing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's got to start somewhere. It's fine. Got to start somewhere, man. <laughs> That's sweet. So is your when you when you do uh, start doing band, is that you know all like marching band, concert band, like all the all the regular stuff, yeah, all the grade school stuff, and then I went to Marine Corps, and that's where I learned drum set at the Navy School of Music in Norfolk, Mm. Virginia Beach. Yeah, it's interesting because in. Texas, there's there's there is this the thought of just like Texas does everything bigger and like the band experience being kind of ridiculously busy and all that stuff. Was that your experience too? No, I had enough time to play tennis. You know, mm-hmm. we 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 went to Area one year uh, for UIL mm-hmm. for the UIL contest. Yep, like we were good. Uh, you know, good booster program, good families. You know. Uh, that's where I first ran into the molar stroke. Uh, two older, two older um, students, Travis Du Bois and Lance Frenzel. They kept harping on me about the molar stroke. Like you need to learn the stroke, bro. Learn the stroke. I was like, all right, I'll learn it eventually. <laughs> I was too worried about the cheddars and stuff, you know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Tell me, I want to hear more about the tennis career then. What, how far did you, what was your, like, how far were you, how much were you doing that? Uh, not far at all. Not far at all. Okay. Not far at all. I like got a, like a, uh, I tweaked it in high school. Your, your what? My shoulder. Oh, okay. Yeah. I tweaked it in high school, just wearing tear. Mm-hmm. And so I just been waiting. It's been like, oh, seven. Let me do the math. I'm not really good with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> or seven I don't know I would say 15 years I'm around no it's 15 cool 15 years I've just started playing tennis again three years ago mm. just just so I could be like okay shoulder's good mm-hmm. shoulder's good fix my technique you know gotcha that's actually how I thought about the idea because you know ESPN was doing like uh, that was do the sports science stuff yeah I remember that, and I was like, "Man, would it be cool if some if somebody did that with the drums, man? I would love that." Like I watch that every day, you know. Yeah, 
No, I remember those. Yeah, I I remember yeah. the 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 ones about. I think they would do ones about like Amari Stoudemire dunking or something like that, and it'd be like, how much nice. force is he putting through? You know all this stuff, and it was yeah, it was pretty fun. Or like, how high was he jumping off the ground? And they would do like all the like you'd see the graph or go up and down, and yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I was taking, I think this was tenth grade. I was taking calculus at the time, mm-hmm. so I was just like, I just got lucky enough to where these two things really helped me out mm-hmm. as far as like understanding the material. So I was just like, I got pretty easy at my high school. But you did you made the connection, which is which is great. Yes. Even, yes. even from good that. teachers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they matter. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean that's one reason why I teach today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there any part of your, your tennis game that was like pretty good? Do you have like Well I'm I'm five six. Uh-huh. But I can still serve pretty fast. Yeah. Like one ten, one fifteen. Nice. Yeah, how was your how was your placement? We we could you could you could you put it in different spots or was it just like straight down? Try to get it. I could put it anywhere. Oh, nice. So you like the the five six Federer basically is what you were. I wish that'd be nice. I wish that'd be so nice. That's nice. More like five six Andy Roddick. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There it is. He, He was my favorite player for a while. But, uh, you know, Federer always beat him, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was – Roddick was crazy because he would get on serving tears where he, it was like – you know who you know who's like that now is um, Kyrgios, where it's like literally nice. – where literally like there's nothing you can do. Like I'm sorry. It yeah. like, doesn't matter where you stand. Like it doesn't matter. It could be on a second serve too. That's yeah. about Kyrgios. It could be on the second serve and he blasts one. I'm just like, bro, that's the second serve, bro. <laughs> 135? What? Yeah, it's 135. <laughs> okay. Nice. I feel like he he retired too young, I feel like. Roddick did. Retired, he retired at 30. Yeah. Remember back in the day, that was old. It was. He was. They were like, you need to retire. You should have retired last year. You know, they were, you know, they were giving him pressure. Yeah. I think, a lot, I think a lot of it had to do, too, because, you know, you had Pete Sampras. And then you had Andre Agassi. Yeah. And then you had Andy Roddick. You right. know, Marty Fish was in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know. But then you had Andy Roddick. And Andy Roddick was supposed to be this like, you know, take like at least at least five or six majors, you know. Right. But then, you know, the doll showed up and then Federer was already there. Yeah. So Yeah. He lost the, he actually lost the Federer a lot in finals that I yes. didn't even in, in finals. In finals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember he was crying one day, like because he was losing so much. I was like, "Bro, I feel you." And <laughs> <laughs> have, have you watched any of um, uh, Tiafo? Um, I like Tiafo. Because like he's like he, he's not because I don't know how tall he is, but he's he's like he's definitely shorter than like a lot of the the guys. But he's got mm-hmm. he's his timing is so good on the serves that like he he's. He might be like you, like he he can blast things. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, nice. nice. Yeah. My my guy right now is is a uh, I like Rublev. Yeah. And Alcaraz is pretty good. Oh my gosh! But yeah. I'm, but I'm gonna reserve my judgment until the next uh, major to see what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, because it could be it could be another one, but I'm not sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's hard to win that second one. You know. 
<laughs> yes. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I was the guy that I the the one of the young guys that I'm 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 hoping is going to be good is um, Augur Ali. I, um, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I already know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just like he's so fluid. I just like I really enjoy watching him watching him move and hit. Uh, and he got close in the French. I think he took Nadal the five um, in the French this past year. So he's 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 on the doorstep. But same thing. It's like maybe he would get one, and then who knows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do you go? You go to UT Austin for undergrad? Oh no! You went to the, you went to the. Um, I went to the Marine Corps first. Okay. First, and then I went to UT. I was stationed in New Orleans. Okay. Uh, in the Marine Corps. Um, so like we did a lot of parade stuff, mm-hmm. and we also did a lot of like fairs and stuff, like in random towns. Like half of our job was since it was Marine Forces Reserve headquarters. Half of our job were to go to other Marine Corps bases, or not Marine Corps bases, other other installations or bases that have a Marine component or attachment. Yeah. And we do like the birthday ball and like Virginia, or we do this retirement ceremony in Washington, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I've, I've been to almost every state so far when I was in the band, that four-year span. But I was stationed in New Orleans. So I, I got really heavy uh, music education back then. So what that music. Got, gotcha. So what was the reason you, you go into the Marine Corps just to, at, at first? To be honest, my brother went the year before me. So I was just like, I don't really want to go to college right now. I just spent the last like 12 years in, in, in high school studying. I don't want to go do another four years of study. You know, I just want to just work and since my brother did, I was like, it might, it must not be that bad, you know. I'm being the band, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, was it something where you went and you were, you could just like be in a band or you went like you auditioned to be a part of something? I auditioned to be a part of, of just a regular Marine Corps band for the job. Okay. The Marine Corps Basement, 55. My Mine was 5524, but I'm, I've been so removed from it. I don't even remember what the name of actual uh MOS is. Anyway, I went to boot camp for the 13 weeks, combat training for I forget how long it was, like a month, four weeks. And then I went to the Navy School of Music. And I was I, I spent nine months there. I was it's only a six-month school, but I didn't know how to play drum set. So I had like three months of drum set lessons, which is great. Um and then I went to my unit and when I got to my unit, I was a year in. And so I had three years left on my contract. So if it's a six-month program um, in the in that music school, so what what are you what are you working on while you're there? This is this is what they say. They say they try to do the undergrad degree in six months. <laughs> so <Okay>. like <laughs> ear training, snare drum etudes, no timpani really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's some there's some practice time for that. Uh, they're available to practice independently, right? Yeah. A lot of drum set, like 50% of it's about drum set. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 40% drum set, 50% snare drum, and like 10% auxiliary percussion. So a lot of Mitchell Peters on the snare drum, mm-hmm. you know, not much Delacruz, but more like uh, uh, Pratt, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Um, and a lot of syncopation for drum set, 
you know, swing, all all the different styles that, that you would do in like a jazz degree, stuff like that. So it was like on one side, it was like jazz drum degree. On the other side, it was like concert band if if it was military, you know, so only snare drum and like bass drum technique and all that stuff. I have no idea on this. Do you get a choice of where you, or at least like, do, do they give you like, give us a top three or they're literally like, we're just putting you yeah. there. Yeah. You get a top three uh-huh. and, and they'll put you anywhere they want to put you, <laughs> but you do get a top three. Yeah. Yeah. Did they? Like I got my second choice. Okay. So my brother was stationed in, in Hawaii at the time. Oh. And someone scored higher than me on the audition test. And they went to Hawaii. And they went to Hawaii. Ah. I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, New Orleans is good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. When do I leave, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and just so I, I know the timeline, what year is this that you're you're in New Orleans? Or years? Uh, oh, I, I got there in October of 07. I left the music school. And got in my duty station June 10th, uh, 2008. Okay. Was Hurricane Katrina stuff still, like, really fresh? Yes. 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 That was actually a little surprising. Uh, it, reminded, it, it reminded me of when I went to Brazil. I went to Brazil to study favelas. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, and I was like, whoa, like, dang, you know. Um, but in New Orleans, yeah, I had the same feeling. I was just like, man, this, this house still boarded up, you know, like this whole block is still, you know, under construction, you know, on the radio, WWOZ, I think it is. I'm not sure, but wherever the radio station is, you know, they were like, you know, we're still recovering from Katrina. I was like, man, they still recovering from Katrina. Like, cause you know, you're so removed when you're on base, you know, you don't know anything, you know? You know, you don't really experience the life of a civilian, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. It was even more interesting moving back in 2019 because I'm like, man, it's a different city now. You know, that's how I feel. I know it's the same city, same soul, and everything. Yeah. You know, recover from from the from Katrina. But yeah, it was just different because I, I didn't I didn't have the same vibes or feelings I had when I first got there. It was very much a small town vibe when I first got there. Still is, but more, more, much more so back in 2008. When you're stationed there, what is your typical schedule? I wake up around like five or something, six, shave, what's called muster at 7.30, which is where we all stand in formation. There's concert band at eight. Uh, that's where the drummers warm up. And then, you know, you go run down your Sousa list, you know. Um, or or we play contemporary music, too, uh, in a concert band. Up until 10, we do uh, logistics. So everybody in the band has a double assignment. Like, I did admin for a while. Mm-hmm. So I would, I, would, I would process all the paperwork. Well, not all of it, because I was on the team. But I'll, I would help process the paperwork for... Uh, our gigs and, you know, our ceremonies and stuff. So I got to see sort of that side of, like, basically it was booking, basically. Um, We did that for about an hour. Um, 11 to, i say, 12.30 would be, like, small ensembles. 
Then we go to lunch. I would say about 1.30, we come back, you know, depending on the time of year, if we're building up for Mardi Gras, we go march about two hours around the base. If it's a week before Mardi Gras, we march twice a day, you know, just to build up our endurance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, about, if that's 1.30, 1.30 to 3.30, and then like 3.30, maybe to 5 or 4, 4.30, we do some PT, physical training, or, or martial arts. Mm. We did a lot of martial arts at my unit. We had two instructors when I was there. So we were always beating each other up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so 3.30, you deliver. That's funny. So 3.30, we deliver an ass kicking, and then uh, 5 o'clock, we have dinner or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you just can't punch anybody in the face. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, and you're like, and not in the hands either, because I need these yeah, for yeah, my yeah, gig. Yeah. Hey, no risk manipulation. Okay? That's right. Like, I, can't, I can't, you know, I got to play tomorrow. Bro. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what? Where were the gigging portions show up would that be a night or would that be actually during the day as well in different sc- oh it's random like when mm-hmm. we go and play yeah yeah it could be random like there's this thing called fleet week in new york to where like all the ships come in mm-hmm. and we do parades for that. that's a whole we spend a whole two weeks there you know we do that every year um what time of year is that oh i can't even tell you sir <laughs> i can't even tell you it's been so long Oh, it's been that long. What well, I mean, like, was it was it cold out or was it like hot? Do you you don't even remember uh, it was that? Like fallish. Okay. Yeah, yeah, fallish. It was in one summer. Yeah. Okay. Remember that. Uh, in one summer, <laughs> did a Puerto Rican Day parade. Yeah. Uh, a couple a couple of parades and event, events all across like all across America, really. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I went up to Tacoma to do something, or we went up to Tacoma to do something. You know, some not much California because there's a couple of bases over there. But we, we did this some we did do some California, mm-hmm. uh Kansas. Of course the whole I ten heading out that'd be east. We hit up all I ten heading out east and going north, you know, up through the Dakotas and all or not uh uh, uh Carolinas, my bad. Going mm-hmm. through the Carolinas and everything. Yep. Yeah. Cool. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it. Was was there a place that kind of surprised you on these trips that like they sent you're like, oh no, and then you got there and you're like, oh, it's not bad. Independence, Kansas. Independence, Kansas City. Yeah. Okay. I was like, man, I was like, I don't know. The, the place is called Independence, bro. I don't know. I feel kind of worried about that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. And it's in Kansas. So how do you get to UT Austin? Oh, I had two choices between UT Austin or, oh man, I'm slipping on the name, Loyola University in New Orleans. Mm, Audition at both. Um, I was taking lessons from a guy named Dave Soleil, David Soleil. Um, he's, he's in the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. He taught me like a three-stroke, three-stroke uh, role buzz roll hmm. pretty sure the buzz roll technique i think you learned it from i forget where you learned it from tom freer, freer. oh sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, for, yeah 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 he was his student and so i had those choices uh and it ended up working at working out in new orleans 
uh, at Loyola. So I just went with my second option and moved to Austin in 2012. Took about a year, reacclimated to not being in the band, you know, mm-hmm. not not doing martial arts every day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> smiling, you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough yeah all that stuff yeah so you auditioned to get in mm-hmm. but you you that you didn't you ended up not doing a degree in music or what was what happened i didn't do a degree in music because i i got really fascinated with this research um and i couldn't i couldn't figure out a way to do the music degree because it requires a lot i was a jazz pr- drummer mm-hmm uh, during that time, it requires a lot, and I felt I'd be shortchanging. Like I'd be taking, I'd just be taking up a spot, you know, by doing it halfway. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, let me go to another degree to where I can balance things out, uh, hop on with some professor somewhere, and like get this stuff going, you know? Because that this was the main reason why I came came to any university really was to do the research if I had the opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So though you're not majoring in music, what? how much are you doing like everything you can to just kind of fill out your time? Or are you just doing, what, do you, what are you doing musically while you were there? I was still in jazz combos for the first year I switched. So I was in jazz, I did jazz combos for about two years. The main ensembles I was in the most was the Hispanic, Hispanic Caribbean ensemble. That's where, I, that's where I did a lot of the hand drum stuff, a lot of the ethnic stuff. Um, but strangely enough, I had learned I had learned how to dance rumba in Houston mm. in 2013. Cause I, you know, I was getting antsy because I wasn't hitting people anymore. So I was just like, let me, you know, let me let me do some of this. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and actually, the so the the whole component of the research or the second part of the research is I did uh, for myself snare drum, drum set, guitar, and uh, dance like as myself to show if they to see if there's a similar move between all those anyway. Mm. So I, yeah, the mostly the Hispanic Caribbean ensemble. And then I just started dancing mostly up until recently. Cool. Cause dance runs in my family. All my sisters are dancers. Mm. Yeah. How were you, I guess, trying to put all that together in terms of, were you seeing the, connections between you know either the like the classical studies with the jazz studies with the dance like were they all connected while you were while you were you know taking up more of that information uh yes and it's mainly through the mathematics just like or or human anatomy Mm -hmm. mostly like the mathematics is an explanation of the human anatomy but mostly just human anatomy trying to think of the body as more of a tool, you know, more the body as the instrument versus the instrument as the instrument, uh, stuff like that. That really helped. Like dancing really helped me with that because I don't have nothing. Cause I'm naked at this point, you know, dancing. It's like singing, you know, only it's just me out here, you know? Right. And I, I've been trying to bring that to, to an instrument for the longest time, but it's very difficult. You know what I'm saying? To bring that, to bring that feeling, to be that, to bring that feeling of like an extension of your body, or it being a part of you, it makes sense when you talk about like either hand percussion, that that you know that, or I was I always think of like the 
a samba band would be similar where the that's all the dance is all kind of part of the performance anyway and it's ironic you said it because uh i learned samba when i was in rio uh someone uh someone taught me and a dance teacher taught me uh, she was very nice uh, uh carol <laughs> and i used to see the guys at lapa downtown there's a place called lapa in rio de janeiro it's like they're downtown and i mean these guys it's a it was the craziest craziest what i mean is like the most un, unanticipated version of samba i've heard and seen as far as dancing and drumming like they have the clave over their samba like you know i was like i didn't know they did that you know i thought i was just an afro cuban i thought it was just a cuban thing but of course you know and the dancing was amazing but I'm in a samba group now. I dance in a samba group now. So that's why I said it's funny you say that. Like just partially like the kind of the physical aspects, like you're saying, but I love how all of the all of these kinds of movements that you've been discussing through the instruments of the dance or even the fighting, you're like, there's always there's still like the math component. Like that's actually the connector, it sounds like. That's the connector, yeah. That's the mathematics. And is that because you feel like you can see the numbers part interests you in a way that like there are other people who who just don't just aren't wired that way. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's great. I just, I'm curious, like, do you, have you run into people who are like kind of have thought along those same lines as you? Yeah. They're usually mathematicians though. Okay. Yeah. Like I talked to a mathematician, be like, yeah, I got you, bro. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> man, look at this spreadsheet, man. Look at this spreadsheet. You see all this data. He's like, yeah, man, I, I like, I like, I like, you know, just like math, math stuff. You gonna put an equation on that? I'm like, yes, sir, I am. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. It's just like you getting together with another professor, and you're like, okay, you know, I know what you guys talk about. So. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's awesome. It's funny because the other group that that could work or could be interested to me would be music theorists. Because it's a lot of there's a lot of math in that, not in the same level, but in it's like kind of almost. I always think of that as the math version of 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 the music part. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, music theory is very intense. Yes. Yeah, like music theorists. I knew one music theorist. I'm like, man, you're smart, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you were very smart. Yeah, wow. yeah. I never thought of that actually. Uh, music, like as a music theorist person. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Your degree is in linguistics, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then there's all the music stuff, but how are you fitting the the math into that? Or is it not there yet? And it's, you, you basically brought it back around. Like the math was the main focus. I'm going to be a bit of a hypocrite when I say this. I didn't do any homework in high school. Right. So like like you know, I was one of those guys who was like, Yeah, on the test, I'm like, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, no 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 work shown on my and I'm passing, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just that dude. And so uh what happened when I did the research, I saw the data and mm-hmm. I was just like, I should have done that homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like my soul like dropped. And, like it was just like, I gotta go study. <laughs> And I spent the next, woo, I did the first thing in 2016. I spent the next 
two years just like refreshing and trying to push myself, like like burning the candle on both ends, you know. God, like I got the opportunity, now I gotta deliver, you know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, all right, YouTube, bro, MIT, you know, mm-hmm. calculus, you know, go go through all of it. Wikipedia, man, I, I know the I know the whole Wikipedia math section, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. But what so Okay, so so then why were you why did you find yourself so motivated to do that kind of work at that point? I got the opportunity to do it. It was something I thought about a long time ago. I was like, maybe it was gonna happen. I don't know. It was like one of those like, yeah, it'd be cool sort of things. Like, you know, for me, I didn't put a lot of uh stake in that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I didn't put a lot of stake. I didn't put a lot of stake in that uh thing. Mm-hmm. So when it came to that. I was just like, yeah, now's the time. Like you just went, you went in. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I, I got to do this now. You know, it's not going to, I'm not going to get another chance. You know, I can't wait 10 years to publish this, you know, well, right. you know, I can't. I only waited five, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's cool is that you, I mean, one of the things that's kind of, I think we, I don't know if, if we think of this enough. There's like the the publishing level on the journal conference. There's like that level. And then there's just, I should just put this out. So, you know, like just my own on my own site or whatever. And just see if I can get, just see what what, what I get out of that. Yeah, it was, it was a long road. I, yeah, I bet. To be unconventional in that matter, it's not. I can see why it's not encouraged. You know what I'm saying? I understand why it's not encouraged. Because yeah. it's just it's just hard. Like it's, it's just arduous. Setbacks. Yeah, yeah. A lot of setbacks. You know, I could have just went to a PhD program. You know. Yeah. But it's just like, no, I had to do it this way. That's part of that. That's part of that Marine Corps running through walls sort of mentality. You know, I'm doing it this way. Nobody can tell me anything about it. You know. Right. That sort of thing. Yeah. Because it was so close. It was so close to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a baby, you know, I, could, I, I didn't want to drop it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you go after you finish undergrad? It, it took me about six years to finish. Okay. Um, well, you're doing like said, three degrees practically. Oh, like, of course man. it took you six years. <laughs> I should have finished at four, you know, but yes, <laughs> yes. True. True. I started working in restaurants took me a couple years. I was trying to go teach English somewhere and then that didn't work and other things. And so I was just like, I'm just going to move to New Orleans and, and do the sous chef thing. So I was a sous chef in New Orleans for a little bit and I was 2019 March. And I got fired from there very quickly because I, I burned the order of scallops twice in a row. Ooh. It was one of those swanky places, you know. <laughs> I learned a lot. Got some off jobs. Started volunteering at the local library in New Orleans. I was doing this research stuff, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, it's like math and music. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to get it out there, right? Yeah, yeah. And this this man came. He was just walking by. He was like, he started asking me questions. His name was uh, Jonathan Bloom. And, and he said, he said, yeah, during, I, I just retired from New Orleans Public School. I've been teaching for 30 years. And uh, I like what you're doing. 
And he was like, you from Houston? I was like, yes, sir. He said, I went to a school in Houston, uh, Nimmons High School, during Katrina, 05. He was like, were you there? I was like, yeah, that's my high school. You know? And he was like, he was like, I never saw you. I was like, oh, I never saw you either. And he was like, well, I was in charge of all the bad kids. I was like, awesome. <laughs> 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 I was a nerd back then. So, you know. <laughs> next thing he says, man, you want a job? What do you want to teach? You know, you want to teach high school, middle school, elementary? What do you want to do? Math? You want to do music? English? What do you want to do? And I was just like, man, put me anywhere. And I started te- that's where I started teaching math. I never thought I would be a math teacher, but it comes easy, you know. The 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 now the content knowledge and or the teaching, content knowledge. Okay, the teaching is always difficult. Sure, um, but I, I love the thing about math is that draw an equation on the board real quick and be like, and they're just like staring at me. I was like, okay, let's learn it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like I, I intentionally go fast. They're like, "Can you slow down?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's what I was waiting on." You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Right? No, that that's it exactly. So yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good way to 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 see if they're if if they're keeping up, or if they yeah. just like respond to you, and you're like, "Okay, good." Now, yeah, I'll I'll turn it down just just because you. Yeah, just because you asked, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all we want. <laughs> yeah, that's all we want. Just, just, just acknowledge my presence here, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's great. Uh, that's funny. It's interesting because that there's a lot of teaching theory. Because I, I teach a, um, I teach a couple sections of oral skills. Um, awesome. At, at at Mizzou, it's very weird because I I've taught a lot of like history stuff. And so that's very much like me talking or playing examples and that kind of stuff. And the, the oral skills is like, here's three minutes of me talking about something. And then the rest of the time we're just doing like dictation or singing or we're doing like they have to do the work like in the room. Uh, I just need to kind of give them what the, the just like introduce the content. But then we go immediately into work on it. Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the best ways as far as introducing that type of material, can you, you can still hear me? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Introducing that type of material, whether it be like, I don't know, cause I know oral, oral skills. It's, it's like that same thing with like people feel uncomfortable and people feeling yeah. people don't want to get up and go and, and like display what they know. Right. Mathematics is so similar to that because it's like, I'm like, I got to tell them almost every day, guys, we know numbers. We count on our, I count, you see me count on my fingers every day. You know, this is not something you can't do necessarily, but yeah, it just takes a lot. Well, what, what's been, what's been your, like, how, how do you, what is that? Mitigate, mediate, or how do you encourage those students who don't want to do it to get up there and do it? Or I guess college is a little bit different, huh? Yeah, in some ways, but what I, what we do a lot of is I, I, I kind of force it to be very interactive. So I will frequently be like, if we'll do, if we do a dictation assignment as we're kind of going through the correct answer, I'll, I'll like just call on a student and be like, uh, Charles first, first, uh, measure, uh, soprano line. What do you got? And so they, and they know that I am going to just call on them. Rand like, 
expect to be called. That's nice. So from so from early on, like they know that it has. I have to know how they're doing. Yeah, you set the expectation early. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, and then we the other thing we do is we do, and I don't know how you would do this in math, but but in because we do we do a lot of sight singing, so we do a lot of that together as a whole group. So they're not. I'm not forcing them to do it individually necessarily i may that might happen at some point but like a lot of the group a lot of times we're we're just doing a lot of group work yeah i mostly i mostly do group work Mm -hmm. um depending on the level right sure so if it's like if we get up to pre-cal like it's all group work it's it's almost like lecture group work right yeah but but like for fifth graders you know that's that's the first job i had was like for fifth grade elementary you know, they want to come up to the board. They want to draw something, you know, especially in geometry. Sure. I'm like, mister, how you draw that circle? It's perfect. I'm like, first, there's no such thing as a perfect circle, you know, <laughs> Set, you know, because my nerd comes out. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it was like, you know, they all come up to the board. I'm like, okay, we all got to sit down. So it's like different things you got to deal with. I don't yeah. know if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, you can definitely do that. Like group work is, is, in my opinion, or the way I'm most effective transferring what I know to them, yeah, it's group work because once you put them on the island, it, you you might not get them back, you know. Right. When you've been in those situations with with you know with those various levels of students, are there opportunities for them to um, like talk about these things? Like that, like if they're in a group, are they are you asking them to talk to each other about it? Like to try, like if they're are they trying to figure it out together, kind of thing. I let them sometimes do that, mm-hmm. but I I try to stay away from that because I don't want shortcuts, you know, because a lot of people like shortcuts. Sure. Um, when it comes to math, at least, you know. And so when it's like, I want them to understand the logic, the logic of how it flows, you know, based on the standards of the state, based on the state standards, you know, yeah. everything is state standard, that everything is multi-interactive, and like we're all writing. Speaking, you know, I'll pull out the computer and be like, this is what it looks like on the graphing calculator, you know, stuff like that. I, I try to do it as, as like full fledged as possible on like a single skill, right? Right. Like graphing a, a linear function. You know, when you're talking about all these all these things, I have to go back to like 10th grade or 11th grade. Yeah. I have to go way back. Like, one of the things I'm proudest of in my life because I started to despise math, even though I was like pretty good at it um, was I got, I placed out of having to take calculus in college. Um, Wow. And so like, I remember I got, when I found out what I got on AP, like I got high enough that I placed out and I was like, that was literally like the greatest, uh, one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. Cause I was like, Oh God, I don't have to ever do this again. That's pretty good. (laughs) Now I despise math classes. Interesting. Like I cannot. That's why I never took a. I took a. I took one math class at a university, at University mm-hmm. of Texas. Yeah, it was calculus. I literally went to one class, changed my schedule the next day because I was like, I will not sit down and do some random equation. You know. Interesting. What? Why, what happens? I don't know. Just for me, it's like I need. I need it to connect to something that I'm doing. Like, if it doesn't connect to something I'm doing, I'm not interested, you know, mm-hmm. like at all when it comes to mathematics, you know. 
Because yeah. so mathematics is such a big field, you know. I can't. I can't necessarily. I cannot. I feel like I'd be wasting time. Does that make any sense? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and for for mathematician, like from all the guys I study, they release all their stuff when they were like most of their stuff, their big stuff when they were like what eighteen, twenty three, twenty five, like like athletes, you know, mm-hmm. like that's their that's their span, you know. Like I'm a late bloomer if, mm-hmm. if if I if I'm to be considered a mathematician, you know, like very late. I'm thirty three, you know, and this is this is my thing, you know. Yeah. So in that field, it's like it's um, your contribution. Like you, like it'll it'll come out during like at latest someone's PhD, right? Is what it sounds like, and then they're just kind of fitting in with whatever the next step is. Is that was that a more typical path for a mathematician? Apparently, yes. Uh, like I'm a I'm a member of the I'm not unemployed, right? But I'm a member of the American Mathematical Society. Okay. But I'm listed as unemployed because I don't have a university position or I'm not a student. I'm not in a PhD or master's program. Gotcha. The the path from mathematicians have always been per era from what I've seen and per country. There's a specific way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, you know, they had, you know, uh, sponsors and they had sponsors and they had, you know, Kings and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Now it's, a, now it's a university route. Like you just said, doctor. So, yeah. And I, so I assume that there are, that if you're in like MIT's, if you got an MIT PhD, everyone's like, we want like, bring them on. Like, right. Like, like it's that kind of yeah. thing where like you get into like the top five programs or whatever it is. And you're kind of good, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and math is one of those things to where it, it can be gradable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like one person can't be a better mathematician than you, you know, because it is a skill and it does deteriorate over time. Is yeah. the main point. Like, especially like the, uh, I forget what they're called, what skills are called, but like the, uh, when you do math in your head. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know I don't know what I'm saying. I, I, I do. I don't know what it's called, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, mental math, I think, is what they call it now. Anyway, for a word, um, that deteriorates over time too. I haven't, I haven't reached that point yet. I still feel mentally in my twenties, but mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know the cliff is steep. From what I hear, <laughs> I hear the cliff is very steep. Your shoulder might be in the in not may not be in your twenties anymore. It sounds like. My shoulder, my shoulder is definitely in his thirties, you know, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So no, that's really, really interesting. And I, and something I, I've obviously, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in that field, so I've never thought about it, but yeah, I would, I would have to imagine, I mean, cause, because that stuff is so, is so high level. I mean, it sure seems like it to me from who's not. But that stuff is so high level that it would require an enormous amount for you to to stay on that level mentally. Yes. Yes, teaching helps. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you feel this way uh, when you teach beginners. So I've been teaching like fifth grade. You know, mostly basically just algebra, like mm-hmm. across the board, grade level algebra. Yeah. But 
since my analysis of this technique is not necessarily uh, based in calculus, mm-hmm. it's based in algebraic geometry. So more of a more of a kinematic explanation than a biomechanical explanation. I'm not doing like uh, I'm not doing a lot of mapping when it comes to mechanics. Okay. It's just it's just points in space is how I'm thinking about it, right? Okay. And that's where the algebraic geometry portion comes in. And teaching algebra for all that all that time, three years, I know it's a long time, right? Sure <laughs> teaching, yeah, teaching algebra for, for the last three years, it really helped me be like, notice things very, it improved my, my math game significantly. I don't know if you feel the same way about teaching percussion. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I'm noticing it more because the this oral skills stuff that I've been teaching, I've only been doing it for not even like almost two years. And so, um, and so what's been different is that it's forced me to relearn a lot of stuff that I barely learned when I was an undergrad. Uh, And so it's, it's skill sets that I, and stuff I've honestly kind of run away from for a long time. I just never, cause I never needed to teach it or, or really think about it. And it's, I've definitely noticed that my own, both my own musicality, but also the ways that I hear music is, is, has improved or changed a little bit from, te- from awesome. having to teach that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm having the same feeling, mm-hmm. but for math, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm getting to be able to connect the different parts and talk about it in a more plain manner. That makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're, you're really thinking about synthesizing multiple fields. Which I do not, which I do not get any sense is I would think that if you're studying high level math, that's what you're doing. Like you're not worrying about how it relates to anything else. If I would consider myself anything, uh, it would be like a logician. Mm. Uh, So like logic and and one one of the first things about logic is reduction. And it kind of helped me. As a, as a chef as well, because that's the whole thing about being a chef. Like you reduce everything, whether it's in the fridge, you reduce the sauce. You know, that's how you make the sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, you reduce the the size of the chicken shrinks, you know, when you cook it. Like stuff, like just simple, simple, very simple concepts of reduction, but they're really consistent. And it really helps. It really helps distill other things. Yeah. Like George Cantor is one of my favorite mathematicians. Uh, he did a first order logic, a predicate logic. He was he was like one of the founding fathers of it. And so when I came across that, I was just like, yeah, I think this is this is the way to, like you said, synthesize those different fields. And what I'm really doing, I'm not really inventing anything necessarily. Like all the work has already been done. I'm just like tying them together, you know. Yeah. Well, and remind, give, uh, explain to me what first order logic is. Uh, first order logic is like if you ever seen <clears throat> like symbols that relate to thought, like truth tables or like P versus uh, Q or not P and Q or stuff like that. That's like the introductory part. 
Um, Alive is related to like semantics. Semantics is really based off a lot of linguistic semantics. Okay. Like that word meaning. There's okay. there's there's specific structures that you use, like bracket notations and and stuff that really lend itself to uh, documenting language ideas. Uh, it would be very similar to like, I don't know if you're familiar with Schillinger's uh, composition method. Mm. Okay, he's he's very logic based, or or even Schoenberg's composition method. Oh sure, oh yeah, the um, yeah, the serialism. Yeah, yeah serialism. Serialism is, is 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 a logic, right? Based composition method. Yeah. Um, so so basically just that, and of course I, I I'm I'm a big fan of Schoenberg, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, he used logic, and he was at the Second Vienna School, mm-hmm. where a lot of that logic stuff was going on. Yeah, uh, and mathematics, and you know, it was like you know, basically what I'm trying to do over here, just a hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. I that's a that's a good connection because it's I always find fascinating because it's it is it is logic based. It's it there's like a clear formula. It's one of those where I feel like the describing it is a lot of times better than actually hearing it. <laughs> That's funny. Particularly if you get into, you know, like the next waves and you get to like Boulez and Milton Babbitt who who like yeah. take, who take what, you know, Schoenberg dig and like go to the next level basically. Yes. <laughs> well, I was all, I was also during my jazz studies, I ran into uh People like Charles Lloyd, Billy Higgins. Uh, 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 I was a big Train fan, mm-hmm. uh, Cold Train. So his later years, he was very into like number theory, you know. Um, people like that, like the free jazz movement. Yeah. And so like my ears were already attuned to it. So when I heard Schoenberg for the first time, I'm like, this is basically like free jazz, but not, you know, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're like, and and then you're like, well. You know, in terms of chronological, it, it's the other way. But I, you know, it, it totally. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, they were influenced. Those free jazzers were influenced by people like Schoenberg, Bartok. Yeah. You know, yeah, Schillinger, just, all those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think a little later. Um, I'm thinking of like the oh Stockhausen, and um, I, I, who is that Stockhausen? Oh, he. Uh, he was from the he was from the well he kind of fifties was I think his his first point but he was someone who was very much connected to the early computer music. And oh, not so, not like John Cage. John Cage was more electric, right? Well, Cage did did kind of did did a, it all, but but Stockhausen okay. was doing uh, was kind of like again in the same Babbitt. Uh, okay, you know that same kind of like time period, like the next. They were the next generation, but his first thing was doing a lot of stuff with um, computer noises and, and organizing those into into pieces. That's awesome. So, I've heard, I've definitely heard some of his work before. Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah, he's okay. got some pretty famous. Um, one of the hardest pieces I ever played was a piece called Crossplay, which is for percussion trio and two or three pianists, two pianists and maybe like clarinet or something like that. Some weird sextet, but the counting in that piece was 
ridiculous. Because uh, it's like trying to place everything exactly where it is. It was like one of those where every beat you were switching from like a 16th note to a triplet eighth to like a seven. Like, you know, you would just have to you were just trying to sub like the subdivisions just were just like my brain. It basically exploded every time we 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 tried to play it. Yeah, that's that's that's. That's funny you say that because what that's reminded me of is the first time I heard uh, Cuban rumba played on congas. Okay. Like when I heard uh, the Quinto the player, the soloist play, I'm like, mm-hmm. he's doing like 10 different rhythms in like a span of like three seconds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's a whole piece for you. That's okay. Yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly, it's exactly that kind of like just level of, of depth in the, in the rhythmic value. And, and that stuff is very similar between those. Yeah. Those. Andre, I have a, my last segment, uh, random okay. questions to finish out. First question is what's an issue in, um, you know, either in percussion it could be performance, education, anything related to that, that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts. The guitar and the piano. Okay. How so? And they're not how they're not included in like percussion pedagogy. Oh, because they are essentially percussion instruments. Right. That's my only. That's my only. That's my only hang up. Because like I play a lot of guitar now, mm-hmm. and I I'm not a great piano player, but you know I write and stuff. You know. Yeah. But I think it's it's like the full thing. You know. Also, don't practice timpani, so I'm just I just do snare drum, drum set, congas, you know, for rumba, mm-hmm. and and guitar, blues, uh, bossa nova, and like I just write whatever I can on piano. In terms of including that, or what what do you think? You think like if if we're being comprehensive about necessarily okay. that we should yeah. like those two things should also be those two instruments should be included. Definitely so. Because part of the part of the experiment, especially with guitar and and snare drum, it's like you're doing very similar movements, you know. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like when it comes to the strumming aspect, even the finger technique, it's, it's it's the same thing as engaging the stick, you know. Right. It's like the same exact motion and like consequence or whatever, but just in a different medium, right? So for me, it was it's just like how many for me it's always been. How many ways can I do one thing? You know what I'm saying? I'm good at one thing. I can move my finger one way. That's pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. You know? But, like, how else can I move that finger in that same way, you know, and increase my skills and, you know, all the emotional stuff, like expression and all that stuff, too. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? I just got rid of it. Okay. But it's, it was my uh, Marine Corps jacket. You know, oh sure, yeah. It just says Marines on the back, so I, you know, I gave it away because I was like, I don't need this anymore. You know, it's not practice. It, it's it's like it's like one of those workout jackets, you know, like a windbreaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets wet, so I can't. It can't, you know, protect me from the rain. You know, yeah. If I get cold, I'm gonna have to put another jacket on top of it. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it made no sense to me. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was just like sentimental value, you know. Sure. Next question: Has anyone nailed an impression of you, and if so, how'd they do it? 
Oh my God. Yes. A lot, a lot of Marines have nailed a lot of impressions on me. I can't, I can't really repeat what they said. Um, uh, not, nobody lately though. Okay. Nobody lately, but in the Marine Corps, definitely. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> like it was, a, was, it was a bad impression or it was like, it just full of curse words, full of curse words. Okay. <laughs> uh, there is an AG yeah. rating. If you if you do feel like the need to to do that, you, you're more than welcome. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Fair enough. I that. Fair fair enough. Um, okay. Uh, next question: What is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? Uh, a Beautiful Mind. Oh yeah, right. And a terrible movie. What movie did not like recently? You know, to be honest, I didn't like that new Spider-Man. I thought it was kind of wet. Oh, um, uh, no, no way home was it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I thought it was kind of wet. Yeah, but I, but I'm I'm I grew up in the Tobey Maguire days, so of course I'm so biased. It's a great movie, but I'm just like it's not Tobey, it's not Spider-Man. <laughs> some, some British dude. <laughs> yeah, he's not from New York. He's from like Westchester or something. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just being dumb. I'm being dumb. I'm being dumb. That's a, that's a good, that's a good specific New York, New York City joke right there. That's, that's nice. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I grew up on Long Island, so I, I've been to Westchester ah, okay. quite, quite a lot. Um, I'm, I know what you mean. <laughs> that's funny. I studied New York a lot. I've uh-huh. been there a, a, a lot. Always wanted. Well, up until recently, I always wanted to move there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really found a home in Austin. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, you know, everybody loves that city, you know, for the most part. Did you like um or did you see the Into the Spider-Verse? That was a good movie. Yeah, I, I really liked that movie. Uh Peter Bark uh was it Peter B. Parker? That was funny. Pete, and That's Peter right. Parker, like all yeah, the yeah. alternate Spider-Man's showing up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it was funny to see like a, a dad bot Spider Man. I was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, you know, as 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 a kid, say I can I can I can mess with that, you know, yeah, right. Mm. There's yeah, there's another. I know there's a there's a, a, a oh a, a more censored or wait a less censored version of that statement. Which you know I, what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. To your first question, yes. There's a student. He just came from Venezuela. Uh huh. Um, and I like to play basketball with the kids because it helps, you know, they see you in a different light. Sure. And uh, I was helping out the basketball team uh, for the first two months at the school. And they got a, they got an actual good coach. I'm a tennis player. So I was just like, yeah, I'll teach y'all what I know, but it's, it's not going to be a lot. you know. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so I, I filled in for that time. And uh, he just came from Venezuela maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we walked through the hallways, I tell them to get through two lines, right? I say, get in two lines, right? Mm-hmm. And we were leaving somewhere, and the Venezuelan student said, he's the best basketball player on the team, by the way, which is crazy, right? But speaks no English, right? Or he's learning, right? Mm-hmm. But he got up, he, everybody got up, and he said, two lines. I was like, yes, <laughs> he's learning. He said, I said, he's learning, you know? <laughs> but that, that's one instance. It was perfect, too. He said it just like I did, yeah. Yeah. No, that 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 those are the best. I was wondering if uh, if when you're playing basketball, if some of the some of the kids are like, or 
you know, you're like, you said, you know, loosen them up and put them in a different C and different light. Are, are they also sitting there like, I think I could take them. Of course. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Wesley, one-on-one right now. Yeah. Coach, <laughs> coach, let's go. Oh, I, I say, I, I say to every, I say to each every, every one of them, no mercy. Okay. <laughs> you know, but the Venezuelan student beat me twice already. So nice. So, you know, I lose, I'm a good loser, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, the various places where you live, I know we talked about uh, tennis a lot, but do you have like a, a, a sports fandom for a team or teams? Uh, not anymore. Uh, I was a big Astros fan. Oh. But I don't support cheaters, you know. And I'm from Houston, so. Yeah. I was a, I was a big Rockets fan. Yeah. But they messed, but they messed over my dude, a couple of my dudes, Tracy McGrady, Al Ming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ray for Austin, who's my favorite basketball player, skips to my loop, right? Yeah. From your hometown, right? Yeah. Well, home state, sure. Yeah. Home state. Yeah. My yeah. bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, no, no, I got, but I got, yeah. He's the one, the one guy from the street ball era who actually had an NBA career. Yeah. And he was killing too. Yeah. But, but he wasn't a street baller in the NBA. No, no. He, he, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was like a legit player. Yeah. And you know, matter of fact, he held the record for most three points in a quarter or in a game, I think, up until either Clay or Steph broke it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. 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 So he's a pure point guard. You know? Yeah. Um, I was a Texans fan, but after all that time with David Carr, like I lost so much heart. <laughs> you know, he holds I think he still holds the records for sacks. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, you know, I can't support y'all. Y'all, y'all suck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> let me go. Let me go over to this individual team sport and see how I do. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, I do have a, I do like certain, like the Spanish producer. For some reason, they produce a certain type of tennis player. You know, mm-hmm. like people like Alcaraz or like. Uh, of course, Nadal, and of course, some of the other guys are slipping. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the English guys are serving volleyers, you know, naturally, because that's 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 the game that used to be Wimbledon over there until right. they until they would they slow down the grass, right? Yeah, it's like they well, and it's like that. I think they slowed the grass down, and then they also. I remember reading something about this because they, I think they've all those surfaces are now way closer to each other. Like they used yeah. to be so totally different that it was almost impossible for, for if you won on one surface, you almost never won in the other. Yes. Except for, yes. except for clay is, is just a different, I mean, I think that's still different, but. I think that what they were saying, the clay is a lot harder now. Which makes it more like the other surfaces. Necessarily. Yes. <laughs> yes. Necessarily. I don't do teams so much anymore. I like, I like USA basketball. Mm-hmm. Only when they win, though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That's good. Um, you got a team, New York, the Jets. Which for this year, for the first time in like a decade, they they are may not be a complete waste of time. It's nice, nice, um, nice. And the Yankees. So this is the thing when you say the 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 Astros, you like it can't support you. So I'm like I can't support them either. So, you know, we, we actually won today, so we're, we'll are we play the Astros in the League Championship Series again. Uh-oh. Watch, <laughs> it, watch, out, 
<laughs> watch out! Watch out for the uh, the the Astros percussion ensemble on the trash cans, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty good, though, right? They're pretty, they're, man, hey, they're winners over there. That's right. <laughs> Whoever his drum teacher is, these are raised, you know, <laughs> or hers, you know. I don't know who it was. Yeah. Oh, that's that's hilarious. Other question: Do you have a favorite book? It's not really a book. Uh, it's it's a it's a lot of writings by one person in particular. One person in particular, I say Leonard Euler, but his name is Leonard Euler, right? Because he's a uh, German speaking. I want to say uh, mid eighteenth century, but he wrote all my favorite stuff. There was a, a thing called the Basel Problem that he wrote. He contributed to I, the number the letter the number I, uh, okay. which is square root of negative one mm. uh, stuff like that uh leonard's formula or leonard's euler's formula euler's identity um so much stuff and he he did i think yeah he did his own tuning system too oh all right yeah i don't think anybody use it but it's there you know yeah yeah oh, that's super cool you know, you mentioned traveling to places. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Uh, Japan. Uh, most likely Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And when I say Tokyo or Japan in particular, uh, there's a, for some reason, and I just talked to, I was telling you about the, the Japanese gentleman, <clears throat> excuse me, the Japanese gentleman I talked to earlier today. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, we were having this conversation. And he was, and I was like, there's a resurgence of like American music in Japan, like at least for the last 30, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it was a lot of Brazilian music because, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, but Japan, Brazil, and I forget the other country, they, they always had a relationship. Like the highest number of Japanese people outside of Japan is in Sao Paulo, mm. uh, Brazil. Okay. So, they always had some sort of relationship. I've been in Brazil, but I've yet to go to Japan. And all the chefs, all the chefs I work with who were Japanese have been some of the most hospitable like people I've ever met in my life, you know. Just like totally different culture and stuff. Well, related to food, uh, what is your biggest kitchen mess up? Oh my god, I burned two scallops twice in a row and I got That's fired. right. <laughs> I got fired. You got fired. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I, sir, I moved, Dr. Zambito, I moved to New Orleans for that job. I was literally three months in feeling good, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I got this. I finally, I finally did the sous chef thing, you know, Yeah, yeah. I'm working at, I'm working at a restaurant in New Orleans, you know. Yeah. And I burned those two scallops. He just looked at me. He said, all right, man, I had to let you go. And I said, yes, sir. Thank you for your opportunity. And I just walked away. <laughs> Ah, it was such a, it was so bad. Oh, so bad. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. That's like, oh yeah, we, we covered this, but no, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you, you gave me a little bit more. Uh, context. Yeah. Context. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the last question really, the food is when you go back to Houston, if, is there a place that like you go back and before you would see anyone, you know, you're like, I'm going there for this particular food item. Uh, there's a couple places. Uh-huh. There's this place, Osaka. 
in, in Montrose, right by downtown Houston. Uh-huh. Gave me some sushi. They just got a new building. Um, there's a taco truck right across the street from that at a place called Avant Garden. Mm-hmm. Some of the best tacos I had. And their sauce is very spicy. You know. Yeah. Other than that, not many other places. Uh, Houston is great for food, but those are my those are my two joints. Most recently, I've been going back to consistently. Strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? I'm guessing you're familiar with South by Southwest. Oh yeah, yep. Okay, so when when I was doing this research, I could not get myself to play gigs just because I was so I was like inside of myself. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So what I would do to what I would do to get out of that, I would just go busk downtown. You know, I just set up my drum set and just play. Yeah. And this was 2016 South by Southwest. I was playing. I was playing and the cops came up to me and they were like, you know, you can't play amplified music. You have to leave. And I looked at the cop. I'm like, it's a drum set. There's no amplification. You know? Mm-hmm. And he said, he just looked at me. I said, all right, I'll go. <laughs> and then so I went down the street, started playing. And some random dude came up to me. He said, he said, I got my drum set. You mind if I come and jam? And I said, yeah, man, come on. You know, this is free street. You know, you can set up over here. We can jam together, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? And we started talking. He's like, yeah, my name's Teaspoon. Yeah, okay, my name's Andre. I was like, where are you from? He said, Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. That's funny. Uh, I'm like, cool, I'm from Houston. I was like, so I started with the... I started with one person from Buffalo in my band unit. And I was just, you know, out of randomly, I just wanted to be like, if you knew this person. I was like, you know Zuri Appleby? And he just looked at me and he said, Yeah, I know Zuri. I know Zuri for a long time. I was like, Yeah, I was in the Marine Corps band with her, bro. And at the time, Zuri was she was playing bass with Nick Jonas. <laughs> oh, and I was just like, I was just like, she kind of blew up, didn't she? You know? She kind of made it. Oh, it was it was the greatest time. It was so fun and so random. I was just like, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool. Last question, Andre. Uh, what one piece of art, music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, anything, poetry, has impacted you the most recently? It, it would have to be an album entitled uh, Joao Gilberto. Uh, and and the artist is of course Jao Gilberto, uh, Brazilian. This album came out in '73. Okay. Uh, and I mean, when I first heard the album, I listened to it every day for a year. Like, like I dropped all the bebop stuff. I, I mm-hmm. said, okay, no more Monk, no more Train, no more Davis, no more Miles. You know, mm-hmm. no more Sunny Stead. Is that, this, like, uh, that's Bossa Nova, right? That's Bossa Nova, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's just him on most of the tracks. Like, it's just him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how does this guy, how does this guy be so, he's not perfect in his, in his playing, right? But how can he be so intentional to capture somebody with just a guitar and a voice? And I don't even understand what he's saying, you know? Yeah. Like, how, 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 does, how can he have this effect, you know? Yeah. And I've been trying to pursue that effect. Not pursue it, but I've been in awe of that recording for a long time. 
very long time. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I don't know. I've, I'm definitely familiar with the name and I've probably heard some of his stuff, but I, I can't place it in my, my ear right now. You probably know. You probably heard the, uh, what, uh, tall and tan and young and low. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A girl from, yeah. He's on that recording with Stan Getz. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He's playing guitar on there. Gotcha. Him, him and his wife at the time, Astrid Gilberto. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. That's all right. Now I, now, now it's I'm piecing it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I took a deep dive in Brazilian culture and music, and haven't looked back yet. Realized I, there is one more question I, I, I want to hit actually, um, and because I'm curious about with all the spaces that you've been in, the music spaces, the military ba- spaces, uh, math spaces, um, the various teaching spaces. Because like I, I think of things like like inclusion diversity equity okay and i and i'm just curious where does that fit into the spaces or or how do you see that um as part of your existence it's not a good way of phrasing it but i i i kind of gather what you're saying and the marine corps really didn't matter Mm -hmm. uh, because i was in the marine corps you know i might say it was a perfect place uh what i'm saying is that i signed up for it Mm-hmm. And so I fooled well, and my brother did it the year before me. So I knew exactly what I was getting into, and I had the greatest time of my life. Um, but that was not a very inclusive environment, right? Mm-hmm. So it, naturally, from the from from the from day one to the end of your contract, you know, it's not inclusive because you have to train to get there and stay trained to stay there. You know, yeah. Um, but as far as teaching and music and all that. And math. It's a case, and math. Okay. Yeah. It's a case by case basis, you know. As far as it with myself, of course, there's been times where I felt excluded and had not been the case. But there's also this time where I felt included and that wasn't the case, also. You know what I'm saying? A part of me wants to shield my students from that, but inevitably it happens where there's based on, you know physical fitness or grades or popularity with some students, you know, and, and and how I try to mitigate that. I just try to do content, 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 you know, if I see them in the hallway, are you, are you, are you at your class? You know, like stuff like that, you know, do you have a pass, you know, <laughs> like all the, high, all the high school stuff you got to deal with, you know? Yeah. I, some of like the kind of the, I was thinking of like Matt, when we were talking about the math thing, in particular, yeah, okay, you know, like, and I because I think of this in like the sciences as well that there's ways that those things can be inclusive in a maybe in like an international sense, but not always in a U.S. cultural sense. I understand that. Yeah. Well, you also got what Pete, which you highlight yourself, and and one of my mentors in New Orleans who was a mathematician. Mm-hmm. And a logician, yeah. Uh, and the reason we we started talking, he was in his seventies, mm-hmm. uh, retired, you know, professor, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm very surprised that you love mathematics. I was like, you know, I can't really help it myself. It's just like something that I'm really attached to. Yeah. But he he also brought up the point that so many Americans, in particular, are afraid of math for some reason. You know, whether it's the pedagogy of of 
of the previous generations or maybe it's a part of our culture that's at this point ingrained. That's one thing you got to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. And math and math typically has, at least all the people I know have been men. Yeah. Throughout history, you know, all yeah. the way from Pythagoras, you know. Right. I wouldn't know the first thing to do to mitigate that. Sure. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. First the phobia and then the gender disparity. Yeah. I mean, this is like, it's one of those things that I know it's annoying, but like you would go into, I don't know if you've ever looked at some of the old photos of, um, of PAS, like the, like leadership or, or the early conferences. Well, some, 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 sometimes. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some photos. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, these are all like white men who are like in their forties and fifties, like every yeah. single person. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I mean, but, really? Like, I, I mean, I, you look back now and you're just like, obviously this is ridiculous, but it's just like, not like no, nobody considered it, thought about it. Like, I mean, it was, it was also a different time back then. Sure. <clears throat> and, 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 and I, I think this is on the same point. I think this is on the same point, but you can say the same thing for the bebop guys during that time. They were all black, you know? Yeah. I don't think they were being exclusive, the 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 jazz musicians. Right. It was just their expression at the time, and that was the that was the group. You know what I'm saying? Right. That was yes. their yeah. That was their group. Yes. Same thing with some some of the uh, Civil War drummers back in the day. Mm-hmm. Some of them were black too. You know. Um. You know, 13, 12 year olds. You know, they were all mostly kids. You know, fifteen was old to them. You know. Right. See my, see, my camera's still on. I just read this book. Do you, do you know? Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I know I, that book. I just finished it, like, today. Not, no kidding. And it's fun. Like, when you mention all that stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, I just read about how that's what – Not and, and it wasn't even just like you were saying that they were all black men, but they were – it was like this interchangeable nature where, yeah, like, like Monk couldn't get – because Monk struggled so so much to find constant work, his his um, the drummer and bass player changed like almost all the time because yes. they were just like, well, we need to make a living too, and if you're yes. struggling to get gigs, I'm I have to feed my own family. Like it was just like this rotating door was just it was just kind of wild to read how how many people you couldn't even keep track of all the people he played with, basically. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Um, and some of those drummers, like Shadow Wilson, were some of my favorite albums. I think the, I think he played on uh, live at Carnegie Hall with uh, uh, John Coltrane. I think that's the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and the particular thing about Monk, he was just so himself. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Very much so. Yeah, like so himself all the time. Yeah, and so it took him a lot of years to get there. But yeah. I mean, I mean, he played with Monk. You know, he played with uh, Dizzy at some point, you know. Very early. With, yeah, very early Dizzy, you know. Like, you know, he played with all these people. He played with uh, Charlie Parker, you know. Yeah. So it's just like, like, he's a dude, but it took everybody so long to be like, you know, uh, you're the dude, <laughs> you know. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
as I, as I was reading the book, I was I was putting together a a very very long Spotify playlist, which I've still not gotten to every song of like when I would see about songs that he was on. And the thing that I actually got really turned on to was his Duke Ellington album. Yeah, I love that album too. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I love that album. That was for me the album that that like re- I was like oh because it's like I know the I know the Ellington songs and they're like they're such great well written songs that yes. then you place Monk's chromaticism on top of that. Yes, you're like oh this is now we're this is good. <laughs> yes. So the other the other album I was going to say. Uh-huh. would probably be or the other piece of art i was going to say was going to be probably live at the black hawk or uh or uh uh with john coltrane the only spunk or it was going to be muck alone in san francisco mm. I, I don't know if you peeped out that album yet but it's, not, not yet <laughs> oh man his his solo stuff is so good to me uh, at first, I was like, "Bro, this dude's playing all the wrong notes. Like, what is he doing? Yeah, exactly. He got a, he got recorded, bro. Who is this dude? You know?" And then I was like, "And as I be- became more exposed to what you were saying earlier about that piece you played to like rhythmic uh, disparities, right? Yeah, I was like, man, this guy's so in the pocket, you know? Yeah. Like he's and harmonically too, and he's doing the left hand stride. I was just like, man." He's a guy, you know? Yeah. What a pleasure it was to have Andre on the show. I wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors. Look forward to meeting him again sometime very soon. And have more chats about tennis and Thelonious Monk. Speaking of whom... Towards the end, I forgot to mention the book I pulled off my shelf to show Andre. It was Robin D.G. Kelly's biography of Thelonious Monk, which is amazing, though that is not today's rave. This week's rave is two concerts that appeared on TV to talk about, one briefly and one for longer. The brief rave is about the Paul Simon tribute concert that appeared on CBS over the holiday season. This was a celebration of the songs of Paul Simon, with lots and lots of folks giving and performing tributes, including some of my favorites, Stevie Wonder and Lettucey doing Bridge Over Troubled Water, Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood singing The Boxer, and my personal favorite, an extended sequence where Take Six did Homeless in all of its Zulu language glory, Angelique Kidjo sung Under African Skies, and Dave Matthews, along with Kidjo and Take Six, doing the best version of You Can Call Me Al I've ever heard. It was so great. The one disappointment from that show, and there's bound to be something with a catalog as vast as Paul Simon's, is that no one covered Late in the Evening. I'm still not sure how that happened. You can find excerpts from the show on YouTube and probably elsewhere. The bigger and more fun rave was the 2022 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony that's streaming on HBO Max. There's too many people to mention who were honored, but the inductees included Duran Duran, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, Pat Benatar and her partner guitarist Neil Giraldo, Eminem, Judas Priest, Carly Simon, Lionel Richie, The Eurythmics, and Dolly Parton. Incredible. 
Part of what made this special so good is that so many of these folks are still performing live, and honestly, they still got it. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis didn't sing. They can. They are part of the group The Time. But they spelled out how they were essentially the sound of the 80s and 90s. But on the performance side, Duran Duran sang a bunch of their best stuff, including Hungry Like the Wolf. Pat Benatar did Heartbreaker. That song still kicks ass. Eminem did a medley of his stuff, much of which was not his best known, but he had a better moment later in the show, which I'll talk about in a minute. The Eurythmics, who were incredible, of course they did Sweet Dreams, but they also did Would I Lie to You, which sounded great with the amazing backing band that was performing on the show. Judas Priest came out and did their full dueling lead guitarist's bit, sounded good. Lionel Richie had the time of his life, doing All Night Long, and Dolly Parton concluded the whole show with an all-star rendition of her incredible song, Jolene. But there were great speech moments as well, including Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics giving, rightly so, credit to Annie Lennox, who either is or should be in the Hall of Fame on her own, Janet Jackson inducting Jam and Lewis as they helped launch her solo career in the late 1980s, Pink giving an incredible speech to present Dolly Parton, followed by America's sweetheart Dolly Parton getting on stage, decided she hadn't fully earned her way into the Rock Hall yet, and to prove it, wrote a rock and roll song that was brand new for that performance to fully earn her status, as she said. And maybe my favorite moment of the whole night, after Eminem performed and was inducted through a lengthy speech from Dr. Dre, Eminem seated his whole time to, one, pointing out how the Hall of Fame has not inducted many hip-hop artists at all, and the travesty that that is. Then, two, more importantly, reading a long list of artists, what he calls his hip-hop education and what got him to this point at the podium some of whom the audience knew and knew well, but many were known only regionally or for a short amount of time and had never had major national or international exposure. It was really well done, and it felt a rare moment of contemplation and gratitude from an artist that started his national career at an 11 and only went up from there, and seemed to anger everyone at every time during his career, which, honestly, he earned that. In any case, it's a long but great ceremony to check out. So, watch the 2022 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony on HBO Max. You'll enjoy. And that's the show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Happy New Year again, everyone. And until then. Thank you.